Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And I'm very proud and happy to say we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call-in number tonight to listen is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And later in the show, after the first hour, you're welcome to call in with your uh, questions for our special guest tonight. During the show, I will take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your question and speak with our sacred guest. Any buzz killers in chat, now you know I tell you this every week, or on the phone, will be kicked out, and I will have a copy of your number, and I'll call you back and bug you. So please play nice and be good, and uh, God bless you all. And I have a few announcements to make, and I must tell you, I'm so, this is dramatic, because it is dramatic. Marilyn Salas Creation, love blessings. I got this beautiful little kid about three weeks ago, and it's this spray mist with 26 luxurious uh, different scents and this misty oil, but it's not greasy in any way, and it smells sort of a light incense-y. Anyway, she has it blessed, and it has crystals, and uh, the bottles are beautiful. And uh, I've actually been using it for three weeks, and I feel very blessed, and I smell great. And I put it on the bed. I put it all over me after I shower. And uh, Love's Blessing is a meditation healing mist also. It's calming and relaxing, and I do love Marilyn Salas. Anyway, so please order from her and go look at uh, her products over at www.lovesblessing.com. And I love her too, so just go check her out. And I want to thank Renee Barnett last night, host of Night Vision Radio, over at Inception Radio, www.inceptionradio.com. Um, Night Visions is uh, every Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. She had me on there on the guest uh, last night. And believe me, I told all kinds of secrets. So you can go over there and you can ask her, Renee Burnett, what my secrets were because I'm not going to tell you now. Anyway, so tune in to Night Vision Radio. And that is every Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, my other pair of peeps over there at the Paranormal Angels, Angels Edwin and Marcia Becker have a gorgeous show over there every Wednesday night, uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And, you know, the call-in number over there is 718-664-6407 to call in and listen. That's every Wednesday night, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's Marcia Becker and Geraldine Bowles. Anyway, and let's see what else I have got here. I just want to push uh, Yvonne Smith's new book, Coronado Haunting, about something very bizarre that took place down south and uh, while well, everybody was over there for a meeting. And uh, it's available on Amazon and Create Space, along with her other book, Chosen. 
Yvonne Smith. You can also reach her. She's a licensed hypnotherapist, and you know what? Uh, she's great, and she's very kind and loving, and we've been friends for many years. And Sierra International is a spot where people that have been abducted or have post-traumatic stress problems or uh, inability to relax or anything. Anyway, she does past life regressions and stuff like that. So you can reach Yvonne Smith, www.cerointernational.com. And she also has offices. She does it over the phone and you can Skype. And also she has Huntington Beach and La Cunada Flint Ridge uh, offices. I'll just tell you a little bit about our guest next week, Carlo Carnivale. And he's going to talk about his life and his book, The Curse of the Gifted. And he's quite an amazing man. And uh, let me read you a little bit about him. He says, it's just so interesting. Carlo Carnivale was born in Nicaragua and raised a devout Catholic. At the age of six, was his first encounter with extraterrestrial beings. Anyway, so he, that's what we're going to be talking about, his interesting upbringing, his new book, uh, This Beauty Be Out Soon. And anyway, now the piece to the response. I have a woman on the, on the line waiting to get into the studio, Lynn Reagan. She's an author, and she had an incident that happened that, uh, uh, let me read her little bio, and then we'll, we'll get her on. Lynn Reagan knew at the age of 14 that she would write a book one day, and she was subscribed to True Crime and True Detective, A Woman After My Own Heart. That was my reading material as a child. I think it warped our minds. Anyway, reading each edition faithfully while plotting her fiction novel she never wrote, 25 years later, she met and fell in love with the uh, love of her life, never thinking she involved in a real-life crime. After her fiancé's murder, she followed his guidance by way of after-death communications and penned their first two books, Wake Me Up, Love in the Afterlife, and We Need to Talk, Living in the Afterlife. And she also has her newest release, Signs from the Afterlife, Identifying Gifts from the Other Side. So I have Lynn. I can see her that she's here with us. And I'd like to welcome Lynn Reagan to the studio. You're live with the Paranormal Sacred Land. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're so excited to have you. And I, when I found out uh, what we we're going to be talking about, um, there's one thing to uh, have these kind of life-after-death experiences and everything else, but some people are so closely connected in life, in love, and after life if the love continues and it's a I've I've always known that but to work in concert with another human being now past I've just never thought of that before. Uh to be honest I never thought of it either. Uh I didn't give death much of a thought really until Chip died um and that was in 2008 and when he passed my whole world just changed completely. Yeah, well, do you want to, why don't you tell us your story? For those that don't know, Lynn, we, well, tell us, uh, you know, start from the beginning where you grew up and uh, how you met Chip and everything. Uh, do you want to give us a review of that? Sure. Um, as far as growing up, I was in South Florida. I was born and raised in Fort Myers, Florida, actually. Um my parents uh, moved us around quite a bit in our early stages, and then uh, I wound up in Ocala when I was a youngster and then moved to Jacksonville uh, probably when I was 18 and worked there and got married and just fell into life, really. And then I got divorced and 
remarried. I mean, this was in the younger years, and then I divorced again. But that was the only two relationships I had been in for 20-plus years, and I'm not a youngster anymore by any means. But um, I worked at this company in Jacksonville for a very long time. Um, and in one day, and, and this was um, probably in 2003, this man walks through the door and I remember that day so vividly because when my eyes attached to his, it was an instant, I don't want to call it a spark, but like an instant knowing or an instant feeling that he could somehow read my thoughts. It was just like he could just read my mind just through those blue eyes that he had. And I was still married at that time and knew that there was no way that I could literally build any type of friendship with this person. So I kept my distance for a very long time. And then, as luck would have it, um, I ended up getting a divorce. Didn't think about that when I had met him. It just happened. And we became, after that time, very, very good friends um, and grew a relationship over our friendship over the course of three years. And it was probably that third year when we, uh, or I'll just speak for myself since he can't really speak for himself, that I fell in love with this man named Chip. And the last year, we did nothing but hunt for our house. We We were looking to buy our first house together and just grew our relationship. It was very, very close. I mean, I fell deeply in love with him. And then 2008 came. Um, and along with it, sadly enough, it, uh, this early morning, we, our ritual was to get on the phone and talk for about an hour or so before it was time for me to get ready for work. And on this one Wednesday morning, we didn't get a chance to do any of that. It was only five, ten minutes into our conversation when he, I, when I thought. He stepped out of the semi-truck. He was an owner-operator to do a pre-trip. And at that particular point in time, he was um, shot and never said another word. And after he wouldn't talk to me for a, a few minutes, I ended up grabbing my keys and running down to where he was parked. It was only a few miles from where I lived. And when I drove into the lot, I saw him laying there on the ground. And when I pulled up next to him, I could see the blood that was uh, underneath his head and knew that he had been hurt. I didn't know he was shot at that time. I just thought that he had must have fallen off the truck somehow and hurt himself. And it was 25 minutes or so later when rescue got there and the police informed me that he had been shot and they were airlifting him to the hospital. And it was probably about 45 minutes later that he passed away at the hospital. Oh, my God. So you were on the phone talking, and he was shot. And he never said anything. Go ahead. No, there was a very loud noise that took place right when that happened, and... It was so loud, I almost hung up the phone, but something inside said, don't hang up the phone, don't hang up the phone. And I didn't. I just stayed with it. And it probably lasted all of, 
I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to determine the time frame, but I would say probably 20, 25 seconds. I mean, it was fast, but it felt so long. And I learned over a period of time, none of this came, you know, answered day by day by day. It was two years, two and a half years. Well, actually, it was at trial, which was three some years later mm-hmm. that I learned that noise that I heard. He wore Bluetooth on his, on his ear, so he talked through the Bluetooth. Um, the noise that I heard was actually the bullets that were going through his head that were vibrating through the Bluetooth on the phone. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, what happened? Uh, uh, so you guys all, did you go into the uh, uh, emergency uh, rescue vehicle or whatever and go with him to the hospital? How did it work right after? No, I wasn't. I, I wasn't allowed to go. Um, during the course of them getting him ready to be flown, um, my stubborn self kept getting closer. You know, I wanted to see what they were doing with him. And the officer kept telling me, I'll give him, you know, credit where credit's due. you got to step back. you got to step back. And I would, but then for some reason I wanted to gravitate right back. And, and then it was probably after the third time he said I had to sit in the police car. And once they figured out that he um, was shot more than once, uh, he was actually shot three times. That's when they knew that, um, well, they didn't know he had died yet. But they had put me in the car, and I wasn't allowed to go with him. I had to stay there. Um, And then I learned he died when I called his mother, and she was already at the hospital. Um, but once they learned that he had passed, that's when they determined that the area was uh, uh, locked up. They did this, yes. the, the, what do you call those yellow things that they go around, the murder scene. It had yeah. then become a murder scene. And they probably huh. thought, you know, I did it. I, I, mean, I was definitely the, the suspect because I, mean, I was there. I mean, I was the one who called. I was the only one there. And after they ran the gunpowder test, I had to go through gunpowder tests there at the site. Um, they knew that it wasn't me. and But they still took me downtown. I mean, it was hours, hours before I got to go home. That afternoon, actually. And this happened at 4.45 in the morning. Wow. So he's going to work, uh, mm-hmm. was killed, and, ever, and then since then it was on that uh, you had to... Yeah. So you weren't able to stay with his body that long? Only while we waited for the rescue. I, I was I was sitting right there beside him for the 20 to 25 minutes um, waiting for the rescue to get there. That was the only time I... That was the last time I saw him alive. And he was still breathing. And that's why they, they, air, they air flighted him to the hospital because they had said, you know, they were hoping that he would survive. We later learned years later that um, there was absolutely no way he was going to survive. Um, the first shot went through his nose, which is uh, the only one that would not have killed him, was not a fatal shot. But that one threw him back, and then the killer ran to the side of him and put two more in the side of his head, and either one of those was the fatal shot. That's why he got life in prison without parole because okay, of those so two shots. That's right. That Now, so was this a, a robbery or a, a truck 
Jacking, um, do you want to tell us what happened? Because um, you went through a long trial, but what happened, um, you know, during the days following his murder? Well, we we realized who it was uh, that afternoon. There was a witness that just so happened to be going home at that hour of the morning um, who saw him drive his car. And you have to think this is in the boondocks. So, I mean, it's pitch black. And when he was driving by, this car was pulling out very rapidly out of the woods. And then when he saw the news um, where the police were asking for people if they knew anything to call in, that struck him, and he was able to identify the vehicle. And later that afternoon, when the police came to my house, they asked me if Chip and I knew anyone who drove this kind of vehicle and at first, I'm trying to think of all our friends that we have, you know, South friends. Most of our friends all live down south. That's where we always used to go as far as vacationing. And then it hit me that, oh, yes, I do know somebody who drives that car or that kind of car. And it happened to be uh, another owner-operator that worked at the same company as him and I. Well, what was she didn't like Jealousy? So you blow somebody away because you don't, you know, because this is not just like a shooting from way distance or whatever. This guy shot him in the head with a great intention of murder, killing. Yes, yes, he wanted to make sure he was dead. He hated him that much. I can't tell you why he disliked him that much. I, I have no idea. I can't even fathom carrying that much hatred or dislike for another human being that he had to have had that morning. Because he got there very early to wait for Chip. He stopped Chip for a long time and waited for him in the dark. So I, I don't, I can't wow. answer why. Why? He never said why or? Mm-mm. Well, the, never what, the, what the trial attorneys ended up using, um, they did pull up uh, wages, earnings at the company. And Chip did make a, a little bit more than he did. Not a whole lot, but they were able to use that as a motive um, that this man disliked Chip because he was making more money. Um, and that's what they used in order, I guess, to to put doubt or uh, to get him a guilty verdict. Yes. So how soon before they caught him? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. So he was out running around for two and a half years. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, saw him oh. quite a few times on the road. He followed me. He followed me quite a couple of a couple of times too, which was very scary. It was very scary living there in the same city, knowing that he was still out there. Well, that had to be. I mean, it had to be the creepiest thing. Because what would stop him, you know, from keep going? I mean, he's already done a horrible deed. And, well, he took the love of your life out of your life. Um, what did he get for this? Because it was like a three-year trial. Um, what he got was a guilty verdict, and it was life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he will never be able to get uh, out of prison. He will, his, his oh, time will end there. Where is he at? 
Um, in Florida, I don't ask me which prison because I, I I know it's on the Pensacola side. I just don't know which prison it is over that away. Well, but it's in Florida. He's not having a good time there, so especially a Florida prison, not too fun. And uh, I'm really sorry for your loss. And something incredible came out of this a horrible deed. And uh, within a few days, you started, uh, you know, having some encounters. So uh, would you like to tell us about that, like how that started and came about? Well, I didn't write about the first one because I really wasn't sure at the time if it was. And that was my my issue is because I have never lost anyone close to me and really never thought about an afterlife and didn't even know anything about an afterlife. Um, The very first one I definitely recognized, without a shadow of a doubt, was on the Friday after he died. He died on a Wednesday morning, and there was no sleep. You can only imagine what feelings were raging through. I mean, it was shock and sadness and depression and guilt all at one time, just waves of these tears that are just uncontrollable. And I hadn't slept. My sister came to stay with me, and it was Friday night. She made me go to bed. And I remember closing the door and laying there. I grabbed Chip's pillow, and I was just crying my eyes out, knowing that I was not going to go to sleep. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. And in the dark, I felt someone lay their hand on my shoulder. And I immediately jumped up thinking it was my sister, but I didn't hear the door open. And when I looked over, there was nobody there. Nobody there. Did not think of an afterlife, of course. So I rolled back over, and then there it was again, laying right on my shoulder. And that time when it landed on my shoulder, I was out like a light. It was like I had just passed out and didn't wake up to the next morning. Still, I didn't put two and two together and never even recorded that one. Um, But it was the following Monday, which was his uh, funeral service, that evening was one of the very first dream visitations that I had had. And it was so vivid and so clear that it scared the living daylights out of me because I had never had a dream like that before. And then the next night I had another. And mm-hmm. then the next night you I had to, another. Do you want to tell us about the dream? Um, the first one is a little scary. It was the ones after that where I were actually was with Chip. The first one, I still have no clarity, no have no idea um, what it meant, other than um, probably just uh, just a bizarre dream. But it was mm-hmm. me in my bed, and I got out of the bed. I walked to the back patio, my back porch, opened the door, realized I didn't have my dogs with me, and I saw this man, one man, Um, walking through my backyard, he was dressed in black, had a black hoodie, um, had his hands in his pockets. I could see him head to toe, walked right through my fence, and all I did was just stare at him and wonder who he was and what he was doing walking through my backyard. And then as he got closer, I got more scared, thinking that I needed to go in and get my gun, but I didn't because I didn't want to hurt my dogs. Um, and then I walked down, there's three stairs that went down to the to the yard, and as I walked down the steps, he saw me, and when he did, he came towards me, and he grabbed 
the hands handrails, and as he did, it was like a it was like a cat, and he slowly creeped upwards, and I was just standing there like a dummy, and he said, "Where's your mama?" And then that freaked me out. I screamed bloody murder, and when I screamed, I woke up in bed, and that that one uh, that one scared me really bad. <laughs> you know what? You know what it reminded me of, though, because you say that uh, the the killer was free for a while. It kind of reminds me of that creep. You know what I mean? His that eyes, he was lurking. Eyes, yeah, the eyes were very cat-like, which were the same eyes that this particular man has, too. So that's what I thought. Wow. Okay, so, so then you started having, that was the first worst one, but I think what you were perceiving was that lurking, uh, horrible mm-hmm. person, you know, and that you were mm-hmm. seeing him for what he was, and uh, there's a reason to be scared, but, you know, thank God he's put away. So after that, you started having other dreams. I did, and those were more of Chip. Um, and I mean, they, they were Chip. It, it, there were some of them that were so very... Uh, oh my gosh, us. I can remember this one where we were on the beach and it was like, you know, you can, it's like you just wake up all of a sudden inside of a dream and everything is just so brilliant as far as feelings and the touches and the emotions and the love. Um, the love was so overwhelming. It's like it just wrapped you up and hugged you. It was that clear. And I remember just walking down the beach Then we were arm in arm, and um, he leaned down. He kissed the top of my head like he always did and said, I don't want this night to end. And I looked up, and I said, I don't either. And it was just moments like that when you wake up. Of course, in the beginning, I cried. I cried every time I woke up because I wanted to be there. I mean, they were so real and so alive. That's where I wanted to stay. I didn't want to stay in my awake life and just cry uncontrollably. After time, you know, after some time and and figuring out uh, all of the things that were happening, I realized, you know, it was his love that he was still sharing with me. Um, And what what a beautiful gift he gave me. And he's trying to help you because you're suffering trauma, severe grief, and loss. And he was mm-hmm. trying to help you from there because, you know, love never dies and we never really die. Right, right. That's that's my motto. <laughs> that is my right. motto. And then while we're talking, then while we're talking uh, you can uh, go to uh, Lynn's uh, website, www.lynnreagan.com. And you can see that uh, she has her books available there. And also I found her book on uh, Amazon.com. So uh, her 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 book that's out right now, uh, Science from the Afterlife, Identifying Gifts from the Other Side, is the current one. Because this is real new. This is only, uh, when, when, were, when were you published on this one, this, this current one? Um, January 11th, actually. So it's very cool. new. It's not even very new. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, get over there and get that one. And then the first one was Wake Me Up, Love in the Afterlife. So uh, you, you are starting to have all these experiences. And um, 
the scenario and the settings that he would show you, would, do you feel that that's where he was and he was trying to share that with you? I do now, yes. At the time, I did not know that. Um, but, yes, I, I, there were adventures that he would take me. We had talked about going to Scotland. He took me there. Hawaii was a really big one, and I know he took me to Hawaii quite a few times. And those were just little gifts to say, hey, we're still traveling. We're still seeing the world. We're still together. Um, but, yeah, I definitely believe that whatever he was showing me, whether it was he was creating a world for us or whether I was going into his world, um, it was definitely not here in this place, I can tell you that. You know, it reminds me of that beautiful movie, uh, Contact, with Jodie Foster. Remember she meets her father, and it was the image of her father, but then she felt that love, and then she realized, because uh, she had been agnostic, in the past, and then she felt her father's love and that it had become from all time. He met her on the shore, and I thought that was uh, an incredible scene. And I think that what's happening is that uh, what's happening on the other side is they're bringing this to us to tell us it's real. This is this is the way it is. This is where I am. You know, and this is what it looks like, and that well, they're in another dimension rather than dead. It's Absolutely, a uh, shift. I don't know how to explain I, it except that I've, 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 I lost a niece due to murder too, and uh, I was so grief struck that because she was so young and uh, it was murder torture, you know, abduction and murder and torture that uh, I couldn't shake it at all. It took me ten years to speak of it without wanting to die, and. Um, she came to me after, and she she before she passed, she was passed at 14, but at 12, she uh, told me that she was going to heaven, and she described it to me. And then after she passed, she came to me and, and showed me some things. So, you know, there's something real going on here. And when I came across your story, I went, uh, not very uh, many people are allowed this kind of, this type of journey. I don't, uh, what, what things... What do you think in you that prepared you for this? Was it your love for Chip? Or what do you think this was? You're asking me why I think that I received so much from him? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, what what makes you open to this? Oh, what makes me open to it? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, once I realized what was happening and that he was actually happening or helping me um, and he was still here. Once I realized he was still alive, that made it even more, um, I wanted to be able to reciprocate. I wanted to be able to see him. I wanted to be able to talk to him. Even though it was in a different world, I, it, it became my life. Um, my journey was everything devoted towards learning how to meditate, learning how to get over to the other side or learning to get into that space so that I could actually go there with him or be there, even if it was just for a few moments in time. I wanted to be able to still connect with him in a different way. I knew that it was a different way. I understood that, but it was still based on the love that we have for each other. And I didn't want that to go away. I still don't. I, I still love my connection with him. I still have it. It's just, I think it's still a very strong one. I think so, too. 
Um, when you were writing your first novel, uh, you this is when you first started and were introduced into the spiritual arts of energy work, and that's when you uh, pursued meditation and went on to study Reiki healing. Do you want to talk to us about that part of your journey? When you turned into okay, a seeker, so that's, that's, what, that's what I see it as. Is that This is where <laughs> the part of where you went through into a seeker. So I didn't know how to meditate. I did a lot of research on the Internet, but the Internet's only going to get you so far. I mean, I need to have hands-on help. I didn't know how to do it. So I started a search on the Internet for um, anything in the area of Jacksonville. I was still living in Jacksonville, and there was uh, some spiritual churches. I was shocked. I mean, literally shocked to see the number of spiritual churches that were there because I had never known they even existed. So I visited as many of them as I could. I mean, it took time to visit, visit them all, but I found this one that I just felt at home, if that even makes sense. It's just I'm home kind of feeling anytime I walked in the door. That is where I learned how to meditate. That's how I learned how to uh, receive guidance. And um, that turned into meeting other individuals, like-minded individuals, and they were into uh, the Reiki healing, which came the energy work. Um, And then that turned into learning about the auras and the chakras. So that became where I, I got interested in the aura photography and it, it was like someone was put into my my life at particular points in time over the course of two years that helped me along the journey of of my uh, spiritual path. So you found a, a particular mentor also? Um, I have quite a few of them, beautiful people. Um, Megan is the one I write about in Wake Me Up. She's my savior. She was my saving grace. She's the one who um, comforted me and allowed me to um, open myself up more to him, uh, to Chip in spirit, and to understand that he did pass and he was in the light and he wasn't earthbound. Because when you read, when I read back then, um, there was still a lot of negative stuff as far as connecting with spirit and you know they have this the fear of being earthbound and and you know ghosts kind of um mm-hmm. but she she gave me lots of comfort in knowing that he was right where he was supposed to be and all of the connecting and the communications uh, were out of the love that we had for each other it was always about love everything ended up in in all of the communications because of the love And that goes I think and that goes on as we think forever. And uh what okay, I believe like there's also a purpose behind everything that happens. What was what was the purpose in this? What what did you find? Because uh a horrible thing happened and then a higher power seems to turn this into a whole different thing and draw you closer into the spiritual life. I think the purpose, um, you know, I've been told several times that the purpose was uh, it was time for Chip to go back onto the other side so that we could still continue to communicate through space and time, um, through spiritual contact. But 
purpose was for me to write the story in hopes of helping other people understand that life does still go on and and we can still stay connected to our loved ones. Um, I thought I was only going to write just the one book, and here I am on the third one completed. So maybe, maybe, maybe those folks are correct that my purpose is to share and and to hopefully um, help other people going through that grief process to understand that there are ways to communicate with our loved ones. Well, what have you found uh, as part of, because you know it's, like you really know that it's him uh, when you're uh, contacting somebody. How do, does a person, if you're helping someone else go through this, somebody that's gone through this, um, uh, what would you suggest if, if something happens rather than freak out or shut down? It depends on your upbringing, too. Don't you, don't you think that uh, yeah, your religious background has something to do with it? It does. I mean, you'd have to literally probably go in a total different direction. It depends on your upbringing. You know, if you were raised in, in Catholics, you know, where they don't believe in that a certain type of, of communi- if they don't believe in communication whatsoever, then certainly it's going to be more difficult for them. I didn't have that issue. I mean, I've always believed in a God and a higher power. I knew that part. I definitely believed in God, and I believed in Jesus Christ, and I believed in Mary, Um but I never went to church. I just knew that they were real when I was younger, um, but as an adult, I never went to church. just did that when I was a child. Um, but I would... Uh, it's hard. It's hard to shake your belief system. I mean, it's hard to believe in something that you can't physically see because a lot of people want to be able to see it. If I can see it, then I can believe it. But how am I going to believe in something if I can't actually see it or touch it or feel it? And it's really difficult to just change your whole perspective and say, you know, if I trusted him or her while they were here, why can't I trust them while they were there on the other side too? It's, it's all about faith you got to have that belief system in the face that they're still here and they're still with you. And granted, it's not it's not like when they were here in the physical by any means. You can't go over and give them a big hug, that's for sure. Um, you can't carry on a conversation face-to-face, that's for sure. But you can um, see little things like a, a feather that all of a sudden just appears out of nowhere or a penny, you hear it drop on the floor a few feet away from you. I mean, where did the penny come from? Or if you recognize a time that just continuously pops out at you, 11-11 is really big for a lot of people. Um, for me and Chip, 123 is our number because he died on January 23rd, which is 123. I followed yeah. those bombs like nobody's business. If 123 was in my way, I went that way because I trusted anything that he was going to give me, I knew was going to be for my highest good. I would never fail if I followed spirit communication. So that that took me a long time to get there. It does. It's an unfolding. And after you had the first uh, few experiences, it was uh, how long were you into the full on grief of of the whole thing? 
months and months. Six the first six months I did nothing but cry. The first three yeah. months I stayed in my car when I would drive up to my driveway after work. Three months I parked in my driveway and cried and hollered and screamed at Chip, at God, mm-hmm. at everything, everybody, I, for three months, solid. And then six months, I, I forced myself to stop that or start to willing down on it, you know, maybe just a couple times a week instead of every single day. And then slowly but surely, that started going away. But grief-wise, I'd say after the first six months, um, the crying wasn't as often, but it was still there. Mm-hmm. The first year anniversary was really, really hard. Tears all the time. Christmas, hate Christmas, still hate Christmas. And I should be over that by now, but it, I, I, there's just some things that just aren't going to change. But I'm going to work on myself a little bit more this year and hopefully um, start enjoying the holidays again instead of of being so sad during them. Yeah, because, you know, that's notoriously the hardest time for anybody. You know, it's hard anyway, but then when you've lost somebody through violence, uh, it it just can't be any worse, you know. So uh, I I think that, how long has it been now? Uh, Seven years. Seven years. And the holiday was still tough. Yeah. Maybe this is your time to maybe invite everybody over. I mean, I don't maybe sometimes it's hard to be over their place, and then you know maybe it's better to bring everybody over your your house. And so that's an idea. You know that's I mean? a really good yeah. idea. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a way that that would be helpful, and I think you know you're gonna have to have everybody over, you know, and then just just have a healing party and and start celebrating. And because uh, I know. Uh, why I identify with what you're saying is that I I grieved for so long and so hard that um, after the trial, because the people uh, were caught, you know, it took a long time for them to get caught, but but they had gone and killed other other young girls, and they finally got caught red-handed. But um, it took me so long. But at once once they got the death penalty, both of them got the death penalty. Once they that happened, my niece came to me in a dream again, and she told me, peace, Aunt Charmaine, peace. You know, she wanted me to have peace. She had told me other things, but I was just grief-struck because I had to face them because I was making the victim's impact statement, you know, at the end and at the sentencing. So, you know, it was really tough looking at those murderers who took great joy in what they were doing, you know. They are very sadistic. And, uh, you know, I... She told me she wanted me to have peace and be happy. It's very hard to do when it's your loved one, and then when it's a kid, you know, it's even worse. But you know, oh, yeah. um, but what, look what you have made out of this. You know, um, you know, I, I really commend you for. Well, you have been really driven by the spirits. You know, not only of of Chip, but it seems like. Uh, do you feel there's a lot of other helpers for you on the other side? that are helping you through all um, of this? I'm sure there are. I just, you know, haven't identified all of them. I, mean, I have my brother who committed suicide. I know he's there. Um, he died in the 80s. Um, 
chips there, and I know I have recent family that's there as well. Although I don't, I can't identify them. You know, if they they're present in my in my house or anything, uh, it's either Chip or Billy, as far as I'm concerned, because Billy is my my brother. But right. I definitely will will always follow. Uh, whatever guidance or, or, you know, if I meet certain people that come into my life, I try to look at it differently now. Okay, they're here for a reason, you know. I want to either learn from them or help them or um, work together. I, I look at everything a little bit different because now I, I say that everything happens for a reason, and I know that. Um, yes. So I want to learn as much as I can. And, you know, you're right. I know that our loved ones want us to be happy and they want us to be at peace with their passing as well. And I think that's probably the biggest message. They really do want us to be happy and to live our lives. Yeah, because, you know, they're they're concerned with us. They love us, but they're not feeling our pain. You know what I mean? They right. don't want us to continue and feel that pain. They're not in that kind of pain anymore. You know, because they're actually free from this life and the pain that that right. we have because we have a body. You know, they don't have that anymore. But they're concerned. Absolutely. They love us, but they really do want us to, you know, move to a higher uh, uh, feeling about it. But we all, all of us have to go on our own pace, you know. And uh, that's one thing that I would have to tell anybody that is in the grief mode or anything. You just go on your own pace and... Uh, Nobody can tell you when it's over or if it's ever over. I've I've read a lot of responses on my Wake Me Up. Um, There's there's people there 20 years, 25 years, 30 years where they've lost their daughter or their son or their husband, and, and they still think about them every single day. So I think once it alters your life, what and, and I don't think that it matters the way that, you know, we lose our loved ones, whether it's through murder or suicide or, or a bad illness or an accident, it still alters who we are because they were a part of us, you know. I right. think they'll always That's be right. as far as in our hearts and our minds mm-hmm. and our thoughts always. Right. Um, so, uh, you have gotten a glimpse of the afterlife, uh, it started uh, with Chip and your relationship with him, and what has he told you about what happens next? I, I don't think he's ever really shared what happens next, um, after the first year or so, um, the dreams, the dream visits started changing, and they became more involved as far as seeing different people in them. And that's where We Need to Talk came into play, uh, the second book. And that book is actually filled with the dream visitations that didn't involve the the walking on the beach kind of love. It involved strangers that I didn't know, but I could feel something from them inside the dream. Yeah. And when I would wake up, they would just stay in my mind, and I would document everything that I I could remember about them, um, from their hair color to the shape of their nose to the shape of their eyes. Whatever I could remember, I documented so that if something should ever happen later down the road, I would still be able to identify who that person belonged to. 
I mean, that's what I thought. I knew they had died because they were with Chip, and, you know, I knew Chip was dead. And I, I eventually learned that his job uh, on the other side was to help the souls who had passed um, quickly, uh, be it murder or accident, um, and he was helping them to cross over to the other side. And that's what a few of those visitation trims and We Need to Talk were. I learned his job, um, or he shared his job with me. But as far as future, I don't think I've seen anything in regards to that. Uh, and but but it's also showing you other people that that you did not know that they were passed, but then you found out they were passed, or uh, did I you find out more about. Them? I have okay. not learned anything about the individuals that were inside the dreams. That was a, the, a, the biggest reason um, that I, I added those because you know it was my my dream that someday the parents of this child would read this book and recognize through the colors of the hair color or the eye color or the clothes that this person wore or put the dots together and say, oh, my gosh, that's my daughter or, oh, my gosh, that's my son. And then they would hopefully, you know, contact me and say, that's mine. That's that's my dream. Um, but, no, I don't have a clue who they who they were. I have the uh, well, you, you know, you have dates. Documented. Yeah, I have the dates. When I had the dream visitation, um, those are documented, but I don't have the names. Well, okay, when this started happening, when you started seeing him, I'm sure you, did you mention it to your loved ones? And, and uh, how did they feel about it? Uh, the only person I trusted was my sister and she would just listen to me and there was a few times I'm sure I scared her and I I, it was almost every morning that she basically took Chip's um, place as far as calling in the early hours Uh, he always Mm -hmm. called between 4 and 4.30 so she tried to be there between 4.30 and 5 with me as well and then she would talk to me until it was time for me to get ready um and then it was like every every morning, Dad, you're not going to believe this, this and this and this and this. And, and it got mm-hmm. to the point where I even I even recognized, oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm crazy, you know, because I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going insane there for a while, um, and then I closed it off. I stopped sharing because it was too much, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't want to get put into an insane asylum because I really did think I was going crazy there for a while. I think that when you're having that real in-depth experience, I think that it's it's uh, it shakes your world. Not only did the event itself shake your world, but then when you wake up to a whole different way of seeing life and, and death, uh, it, it does uh, put you not on solid ground that you were once on. Mhm. Oh, and there were so many of them where he did not feel like he was dead. I I would wake up very confused and not 
to the point where I didn't know which life felt more real. I didn't know if my physical life was real or if that dream life was more real because it felt more alive in the sleep state than it did here. Like this life was the illusion, but that is where I belonged. And, and if that even makes sense, but that's how it well, felt. Yes, it felt a people lot. have said that. Go ahead. What did you just say? Uh, he, he was not dead. I mean, it got to the point where I realized he was not dead because he wouldn't let me feel that, for one thing. I know other people have had uh, experiences where they knew their loved one when they saw him in the dream visit that they had passed and they were able to, you know, share those uh, moments with them in conversation. But with Chip, he would not allow me to realize that he had passed. I and mean, he was very much alive, very much alive. And it, it, it doesn't take too many to have too many of those type of visits where you realize he's not dead. I mean, I I knew he wasn't dead. Right, because, you know, our spirit never dies. And um, I think there's a lot of evidence to this. And... Um, what do you uh, think that um, how it's changed your relationship with those around you now? That because you you have changed, you know, and I know it's obvious to those that love you and that are around you. Uh, what are they? How did you change your relationship with your people, your support system? Well, sadly, I don't have a really big support system. That was the one thing that I was lacking. So. Um, that yeah. was another reason why I feel the need to help others because I know there's probably other individuals that are like me where they don't have a very big support system. I'm, I mentioned my sister. I mean, she's my 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 next love in this life. I mean, if it weren't for her, I don't know what I would have done. Um, but I do believe that this whole thing has opened her eyes as well, and Chip has visited her. Freaked her out. <laughs> I will tell you that. Well, tell us about uh, it. Tell us what happened. Oh, I, it was uh, uh, one evening. Actually, John Edward. I know everybody knows John Edwards, right? Yes. The psychic medium. He was uh, at an event in Jacksonville, and I took Chip's mom um, there. And, of course, you know, we had hoped that we would get a reading from him. But it was... That evening, we didn't. It was a great experience, and we were going home, and my sister called, and I had missed her call, so I took Char home, and by the time I got home, we finally were able to connect, and when we did is when she shared that she had a dream visit the night before. I hadn't talked to her that morning um, at this particular point. Anyway, in the dream, um, she was riding in the car of the killer, and she kept describing the dirt road that led to where Chip had parked his truck. She said it was very bumpy. She didn't have a clue what what that road was like, but she said it was very bumpy. It had been raining. She saw me and Chip and uh, next to his truck, and when I saw her in her car, she said all she felt was this love um, that we were together. Her words, identical were, was you, the two of you were just beautiful and glowing so brightly. And then she said the next thing she knew that the car had turned around. She was in the back seat, um, and it was very loud. She described the loudness of the car. And then they were going out the driveway, 
and she turned a particular way on Normandy Boulevard, which is where this event took place, and described everything to a perfect T. And all I could do was just sit there and smile. This was probably a year after Chip had died. And I just mm-hmm. smiled because he had gone and visited her. Oh, and then after that, um, she said she was in this dark room and the casket was sitting in front of her and Chip's face was just right in, right there. And she said all he did was just smile. She said he looked beautiful, handsome, and just smiled. Um, it was she came to Jacksonville probably a few months after that, and I didn't tell her where I was going to take her. And I, we went for a ride, and I drove into the lot uh, where all of this took place. And the very, time, the very second I turned into that lot, she knew where it was. She knew she knew exactly what it was. She described everything to a T. And that's hard to do when you've never been there before. <laughs> Except that I've done the same thing. I, I said somebody, uh, I'll meet you over. They said, "Yeah, but I didn't tell you where it was." And I said, "Well, I have a feeling I'll know. I'll know when I get there." And I swear to God that I just drove straight up there. Because I don't know how you did mm-hmm. that, but I pictured it in my mind. And uh, so this stuff yeah. isn't unusual to me. Once I, once you, I don't know. It's it's like you're you have one foot here and then another foot over there. And right. Uh, and then you've you've got to keep your balance, uh, but but you have reached out in in many ways, and you also have reached out in ways uh, that are quite unusual. Like, uh, uh, what were your experiences as an aura photographer? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I love doing the aura photography. Um, it's not anything that I do visually with my eyes, or or I actually have a little sensor that uh, reads the energy. The, it, Basically, it's the body heat uh, from your hand, which is where the energy, the chakra energy comes from. And when you put your hands on that sensor, it can read the vibration of your energy, which also in turn transforms uh, the color of the aura on a computer screen. Fantastic information. The, The studies that they had performed in order for this software program is they match everything up to a T um, as far as identifying the colors of the auras um, versus the personality profiles about the auras. So each color of the chakra system has a particular um, personality profile. I mean, it can tell you your likes, your dislikes, uh, your relationship statuses, what you like, what you don't like. So it was awesome as far as getting into and digging into uh, the chakra system. I love the chakra system as far as that. I would test myself all the time um, because the thoughts can easily manipulate your energy centers inside the body. And yes. just by changing changing your thoughts or um, bringing in laughter and bringing in happiness will actually uplift that energy. So if my I would play with my little sensors and my computer, and if any of my chakras were down, boy, I would head outside in an instant and try to get into the nature just to change the vibration of my own body and manipulate my own chakras. So it was fascinating in that as far as playing with it and exploring with it. I think it's fascinating, and some people 
Actually, I, I know a few people that do that, and they're usually right on because uh, we do have a scientific basis for uh, these being able to be seen and studied and things like that. Even after, uh, let's say, a plant has died, they will cut a leaf away and that the leaf is still there, which mm-hmm. I, I find kind of incredible. It's like there's still a memory of a life even after part of the leaf is taken away. Now, I don't know how that happens, but I think it has to do with, like, there is there is life. Life continues. There's an energy there. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely believe that we are all made up of the energy, and every thought form has an energy, too. Um, I used to, whenever I did the aura readings, is um, not preach it, but share the information about the law of attraction and, and yeah. the power of your thoughts. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there that would joke around that, you know, you're living in the hippie world and everything's got to be pretty really. and, and happy. And, but, oh, my gosh, that's the best way to live. I mean, it really is. I think the hippies had it had it all together, you know. Well, they I think they hit upon one thing because it first started out, I don't know if anybody remembers the hippie movement, but, yes, I do, okay. And what started out is that it was love and patchouli. That was the whole thing. And that's love. That's really patchouli. That was it. It wasn't all this other stuff that it turned into that we studied in school. We weren't that smart. We were stupid. All we knew was there was incense. I was I was on to any Boom Springs. I didn't do pot, but everybody, of course, did but me. They thought I was a narc. But anyway which I wasn't, but um, <laughs> I just couldn't handle any kind of uh, drug or something like that. It just reacted bad to me. But what was happening, though, it was about, you know, love and incense. And, you know, then it turned into something else. People started thinking. I think that's what messed it up. When Before they were thinking, it was fine. But then you start thinking, it screws everything up as usual. You know, it was a creative uh, uh the movement to me, very artistic, and then it and then it got something else. I don't know what happened. But the artisticness is what is so intriguing, and the happiness, and I, I think yeah. that's what we should all try to strive to get back to. Is as far as being happy and being in that that love. I mean, if um, the the Beatles with some of the songs that they have. Um, I I have to wonder if they didn't channel a lot of their information because really it is everything is hmm. about love. Uh, what is yeah, that song? Is that, all, but, all, you know, you all, all you need is love. But you know, it's the, uh, a couple of their songs really kind of freaked me out because I think they were really getting too high at the time. <laughs> so even though I was like, the Sgt. Pepper's Only Heart Fub album well, really no, kind of like scared that. me a few. Yeah, I know, it kind of scared me. So I think you were akin along with me on this one. <laughs> For everybody that really idolizes that album, we were scared, okay? The regular love people were scared of that Beatles album. <laughs> now I told the truth on my mind. We're just little numbskulls. We didn't know anything. We believed this whole tie-dye thing. That was it. You know, yeah. and we thought, we thought you know, in love and incense was going to save the world. And I still have love, I and I, I have incense, too. So that's it. Anyway, 
I think that a lot of this, uh, people are cracking up in chat, too. So this is a good time to call in 619-924-9744 and speak with our lovable guest tonight and about her extraordinary experiences in her three books. And you also have a, a, ch- a children's book. You have I do. Three of your book. Yeah, you have three books, Wake Me Up, Love in the Afterlife. And then number two is We Need to Talk, Living with the Afterlife. And number three, Signs from the Afterlife identifying gifts from the other side. And to me, you know, this identifying gifts from the other side, I think we can all identify with that because little blessings happen throughout the day and you know you're getting help. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great or, way to put it too because you know you're getting help. Yeah, you know you're getting help because I know it because it could have easily gone differently and I would just get a little assist here and there, you know. And I mm-hmm. it throughout the day. I know... And I acknowledge it uh, out loud, and I go, well, that was a blessing. What, like something didn't work out, a paper was missing, this showed up. Because my job is really technical, you know, and I know I'm getting a great hand from the angels above to help me do my work. And uh, you can easily, the details are so extreme because I do work uh, for the federal system. And, uh, and it's for prisoners, actually. But... Uh, and I'm a counselor for those who don't know me. But uh, anyway, and things could easily get lost, uh, you know, in this. But the connecting the dots is extraordinary. And with the the help from above and my, my training, I'm able to connect these dots in an extraordinary way. So I know all day I'm grateful. I stay grateful for the assistance I'm getting. That's the best way to live um, because I really do believe that we all receive assistance. It's just that some of us aren't able to recognize it. Right. So tell us about the children's book and how this come about. Um, it actually started from a dream visitation, and this is one of them that I brought into the physical world and also how I learned how to identify when I was supposed to bring something into the physical world. Um, It was, uh, I saw a black sign in front of me, and it said in white, bold letters, name your little boy Burke. And it spelled the name B-E-R-C. And I instantly woke up after I saw that and thought, oh, dear, I had recently adopted a little dog, and I named him Chipper. His name was Chip, which was, I thought, a sign to go get and rescue the little boy because he had Chip's namesake. But after I brought him home, I couldn't call him Chip because it felt really weird, so I called him Chipper. Well, after I saw this sign, I thought I was going to have to get another dog, and I got upset and went back to sleep. And the next thing I see is Chip sitting in front of me, carrying a big smile, and um, he moves his arm, and he reaches behind him, and he brings forward, he's got the hand of this little boy. And this little boy comes up next to him, and he hands, he, how, do I, how do I explain it? He brings his hands towards me, or he, he leans his hand towards me, and inside of his hand, little tiny hand, he's got these seeds sitting there. And I look over at Chip, and he's doing the same thing, and he's handing, like he's handing me 
a handful of seeds. And I wake up from that, and, of course, I'm not going to forget it because it was so real and vivid. And it, I instantly remembered that Chip had done that two other times where he was handing me something, and they were seeds inside of the palm of his hand. And yeah. after talking to um, a couple of my medium friends, I realized that what Chip was handing me was a, the, kind of like planting the seeds, and each time he did that, I had written a book, which were the two books, Wake Me Up and We Need to Talk. And because the child was there in this particular visit, it, I came to the conclusion, or we came to the conclusion, that maybe I needed to write a children's book. And as soon as they said children's book, I had remembered about the sign, name your little boy Burke. And it made perfect sense. So I said, okay, I'm supposed to write a children's book. So I sit down one night and I say, what do I got to write about? I mean, I have no clue how to write a child children's book. I don't even have children. I had certainly had my... Um, many years of raising children, but, you know, they were my stepchildren from my previous marriage. But I had none of my own and hadn't been around kids, and I couldn't tell you how long. And um, I just all of a sudden started writing, and I was done within 20 minutes. I had written the whole book about an inner voice. I thought it was going to be something along the lines of this little boy was going to lose um, a friend or a brother or a sister, something that I would be able to identify with as far as a loss, right? Mm-hmm. It wound up being something totally different about a little boy having a talking cat, um, and I don't know where I got the name to name him Chunky, um, but that's the cat's name is Chunky, and mm-hmm. they go out on an, on an exploration to find treasure, and they come upon a hidden cave, and what he learned, Burke, the little boy, he learned that he didn't need to go find treasure because he was the treasure, and by listening to his inner voice, he's able to uh, be guided throughout his life. And at the very end of the book, um, he wakes up from a dream, and looks over at his cat and asks his cat if that was all real while they what they experienced inside the cave. So that's the only identifying part of me that is in the book as far as the children's book. And it's called Burke's Inner Voice. Listening to his or you know, that's Burke's Inner Voice. But yeah, it's about very listening, good. listening to his inner well, voice. The neat one it's so good because you know we usually don't teach kids to listen to your inner voice or or do that as far as a children's book so it has the spirituality but then it's neutral at the same time you know it's it's right. i think it's great well the neat part about that is too is um i have a very dear friend her name is Allison Allison Meyer and i met her many years ago but she, too, had lost her fiancé in a um, motorcycle accident. He was involved in a motorcycle accident and passed away. And I met her online through Facebook, and we became very close friends, um, even actually met each other um, at, at an event in Maine after we we um, did Burke. It was the very first time we met each other. 
but I knew she was an artist and she was very, very good. So I asked her if she would actually um, do the pictures for the Burke book, and she agreed. So together, her fiancé and mine, all four of us together, you know, designed Burke. Wow. Now, now, in your book, uh, like we'll pick, uh, let's see, in... uh, I'm trying to pick up passage here. Um, I really, uh, I love the way you said this. Is what signs do I look for? So you're trying to help people recognize if they have been visited uh, from the the other side and communications. And um, they said they said there really isn't an easy answer because our loved ones can leave any sign they wish, and one can't arbitrarily say, "Look for the pennies." Uh, it's not that simple, and uh, I, I agree with you. To me, like what you said, uh, to some people that white feather means a lot. Other ones, it would not, it wouldn't make you know any sense. But uh, for you, what were the the meaningful things that you were finding that let you know, well, there's something going on here? What was like some of the things were left behind, the tangible things? Tangible. I think the first ones I've noticed were the butterflies. Butterflies became yeah. very, very big for me. Um, I would recognize that in a heartbeat. I actually wound up, it was so powerful. And I even had dreams about the butterflies that I got a tattoo of a butterfly and, and put Chip's name underneath it. That's how powerful the butterflies became for me. Um, feather uh, Feathers are, are fantastic, too. Um Scooby is a Labrador dog that Chip wanted to get before he passed. And he was four months old when Chip died. And I did Mm. not realize how big this dog was going to get. But he left me with him, and I didn't have a big yard, so I had taken him to the ballpark. Um, This was many months after Chip died. And there's nobody around. There's only your seats there. It's a baseball park. And we're in the middle of this field. There's nothing. It's a, a sunny day, and I throw the ball for Scooby to go and get, and the next thing I see is something coming down from above me, and when I look up, I mean, right above my head, it's a little white feather just floating. You know, like that movie um, Forrest Gump where that feather at yeah. the very end of the movie is just floating around? That's yeah. what it was doing, and I put my hand out, and the feather just landed in my hand. I knew there was no way that couldn't be a sign from Chip because there was no bird. I mean, I immediately looked to see where the closest bird was. There was nothing. So I knew that had to be from him. I thought that was amazing. Um, a lot of people get pennies. I'm not saying that I haven't received a penny here and there. I have. But I have uh, read many documentations where a penny will just fall at their feet out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So I know that a lot of people receive pennies, so I don't want to discard those. And it doesn't have to even be just pennies. It could be dimes or nickels or quarters, you know. It could be whatever their loved one or what they ask their loved one to give them because we can certainly ask for a sign too. That's right, and uh, that's what's comforting. You know, when you're bringing up butterflies, it reminds me 
of something that happened. Uh, my daughter's uh, mother-in-law unfortunately accidentally overdosed. Um, she had been sick and taking cough syrup, and she was also drinking, and she also had taken some pills from the doctor, and it was a lethal combination, so she passed away in her sleep. And she left five kids behind, including my son, my son-in-law, my ex-son-in-law. But anyway, um, I so nobody could, they couldn't say anything. Everybody was frozen and speechless, and uh, I know how it feels. So, but they called me. I remember one of the oldest sister called me, and she said, "Would you do the eulogy?" And I was thinking, why are they asking me? Or like, you know, because I'm the mother-in-law, really, you know. And so I was, I was stunned, but. I said yes. I just said yes because it was the right thing to do, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I remember praying and kind of sleeping on it. I went to sleep for a little while, and then I woke up around midnight, and I called her back, and I said, yes, I'll do it, but I have some questions I have to ask you because it was like the night before and uh, the funeral. And uh, I said, I have some questions. So I, after all these questions, they had come to my mind. And so when I was standing there and they had an open casket and, so I'm actually standing there next to my mirror because she could have easily been me. If my life had taken another path, you know what I mean, I could have drank myself to death, you know, right. or, or, or died like that. So I had to speak up for the ones that are also still living and still in recovery and also explain to her about her. And so all I said about her condition and the way she ended up was because she didn't grow up. She was still a teenager in her heart, and she made some mistakes, and um, that this is a big one. And then I went on to talk about how they had all piled into an old car and drove all the way here from Texas, and I started talking about their life and their travels, and I mentioned every relative there by name, and everybody started sitting up straighter. And I know that her spirit was helping me do this. You know what I mean? Just to turn it out, and all the... Her children started sitting up tall in their chair, and they felt better because it was a pretty awful thing, uh, you know. However, you know, once you're past, you know, I believe that God looks out for the drunks and the fools and the overdosers. You know what I mean? That he has a special place in his heart for people to end up in the gutter or or whatever because, you know, you're dying in like a disgrace, yet you're redeemed somehow. I believe in redemption. Anyway... So we, my my granddaughter was very little, and uh, so she was only like two, and they weren't afraid of their other grandmother's body. Uh, we were just being natural and matter of fact, and then they're still not afraid of death and everything because of the way we're all acting, you know. And so we all went out to the site, and, uh, you know, and another thing I wanted to commend her on, which I've been thinking, and God rest your soul, is that she had paid for her life insurance, you know, so she paid for her own funeral. You know, wow. and not often a person that's, that's you know, down in the pockets that doesn't have a dang thing will leave enough to cover all the funeral expenses, but she did. She had a very pretty uh, white coffin. She had a very beautiful little funeral. It was really very sweet. So we went out to the, the graveside, and we're all out there, including my granddaughter, who started, was standing there. We're all standing there and making the prayers by the, the gravesite, because I continue with prayers. All of a sudden, at least, a hundred of those little scruffy butterflies, you know, not the big, beautiful, floppy ones that we all take yep. as spiritual. Yep. 
the little scruffy ones. You know, the ones that are in the scrub and they're the brown and they're, some of them are yellow and they're the little ones. Yeah. At least 100 yeah. showed up and they all landed all over her flowers. And they were swirling oh, and flying like confetti all over the place. My granddaughter started running around trying to catch the butterflies and it turned into, I, I can't tell you, we knew it was God because of the amount of them. And they were swarming around her her little daisy flowers and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever, I wrote a story about it because it touched me so much, is that she wasn't one of those big, beautiful butterflies they have on display. She was one of those little scruffy ones, you know, the tough little <laughs> ones, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. still beautiful. God rest her soul. Yeah, so the butterflies oh. do have an intense a meeting, you know, and... Uh, it's uh, the calling number tonight. We have had many people in chat and also on the lines listening. And the calling number tonight is 619-924-9744. If you'd like to call and ask or guest a question tonight. And uh, if people are listening to your story, uh, and if there's any questions and you want to mention something in uh, chat, I'll ask you a question. But I love that um, that that you have written about this and out of this loss, you know, the outpouring of the written word, which we all, you know, me and my peeps, we treasure the written word. And I, I do have a, a book club, and I, I featured the book in the, the book club, and uh, it's called the Paranormal Sacred Book Club. Anyway, uh, your book is featured there. And uh, the written word is very important to us, and I see this, that you've done this, you know, as an outpouring of what's in your soul also as something it's tapped into something that was already there. Don't you agree? I think so. I just didn't know that it was there. I mean, I, I, I have done a lot of searching just on myself, and that's why I wrote, you know, at the age of 14, I knew I was supposed to write a book. I mean, I knew I was going to write a book, but I thought it was going to be something totally different, and I really was infatuated, infatuated, with the true crime and the true detective. I mean, I had to have that magazine for many, many years when I was a teenager. Um, but then, you know, life got in the way, and then I totally forgot about it. I mean, totally forgot about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, 25-plus years later, Chip dies, and um, this medium is telling me that, oh, he wants you to write a book. He wants you to write your story, yours and his communications. And then I even had some dream visitations where he and he had asked me and, and basically showed me how I was going to start it. So I knew that I was supposed to write it. I just didn't want to write it. I didn't want to write that story. I didn't want to write that kind of story. And it took mm-hmm. uh, just that first chapter is that day, so that morning. Um, it took me nine months, if not ten, just to write that because every time I would start to write something, I just would bawl my eyes out. I mean, it was just so hard to write about his dying and focusing on it for so long of a period of time that it was just overwhelming, overwhelming sadness. But I got it done and didn't read that first chapter for years. I didn't even edit that first chapter. That's how bad I hated that first chapter. Uh, It took took me three years before I even edited that chapter. I wrote wow. it and never went back to it. Are you editing all your own work? 
Um, I did in the beginning, but I have an editor now. Um, for me to go and reread it, I would always skip that chapter. I would I would edit all the others, but I always skipped mm-hmm. that one. It took three years, at least three years, before I actually went back and read that first chapter and then changed some words up and, and edited it up to make the flow a little bit better than what it was. Um, yeah. That's, that was that was a hard one for me to write was that first book. Well, so that stuff is uh, worthwhile, though. The ones uh, that's the real jewels is when it's it's kind of difficult and you have to dig. You know, it's uh, it comes out real authentic and it is a true story uh, based on your experiences, and uh, I really love it. So um, now, what I don't know how to say this. So should I just ask? Is do you yeah. think? Having him around is going to help your next boyfriend and your relationship with the next guy. How do you feel about that? Or is there going to be another guy? Or there is another guy. I don't know if there's going to be. I'll be honest. I don't know. I am perfectly happy with everybody else around me that is worried about me being alone, but they don't really understand I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I mean, you're not alone at all. I know, so I don't. I don't have that lonely feeling. I have too much to do. I don't even have time for a relationship. But if there was someone to come in the future, um, a long time from now, I totally think that Chip, if it is happens, Chip's going to pick him. And if you believe in multiple lives, it may very well be Chip, or a part of yeah. his soul. And if it's not, that's, you know, I, I could really go way out there if you wanted to go out there, but. Yeah, uh, I felt like it, but I don't want to be. Uh, yeah, I think I was she'll like always thinking, be smart. I don't know. I was starting thinking about crazy stuff. Well, is there uh okay. So one of my guardian angels is Barry White, right? I didn't. I know people don't really know this, but it's true. <laughs> I didn't care. I love that. He's just, cool. he's just my guardian angel. So at this point, I went up to uh, heaven and I saw Barry there. So I went, Barry, why? And so he gave me a hug, and I was trying. I was gonna say I like this song, and he said to, he cut me off right there. He said, "There's none of that song up here like that. Those kind of songs." I was like, "What?" You know. Anyway. So, people are laughing at me. But anyway, yes, Barry White is in heaven, and he's not singing those songs anymore. So, does this mean there's no sex on the other side? Okay, I just said it. Does it mean that there's no sex on the other side? Yes. Oh, well, I don't know if you you probably have not read uh, We Need to Talk, and it's funny that you No, because I couldn't open it. I am bringing it up that I haven't opened that book, but... You know, yeah. I really did get it I immediately. Write about, I actually write about one um, one visit, and I tried to make it very loving and very um, energetic, and, and I had to try to describe it in words that weren't going to be naughty or nasty or, you know, like uh, the 50 uh, grades of Shea or whatever, grades. Fifty of grades of Grey. <laughs> gosh, I can't get that one out. Holy cow. Um, I, the 50 grades of shade. 
I know. Isn't that crazy? Okay. I, I haven't read it. I do discuss that book, but I haven't read it. I, I haven't tried I haven't to stay read out of it. Either. Either. I've only gone by what yeah, I've only gone by what other people say. But yeah, I did write a little bit about an experience in um of of a uh, sexual nature on the other side. I truly believe that widows and widowers do experience having um sex on the other side. They just aren't going to share it. Yeah, they're not going to tell. But is it possible? Absolutely. If you if you are a vivid dreamer or you can remember your dreams, I I guarantee you there's a bunch of people out there that have um intimate relations with their their loved ones on the other side. Yeah, I I believe that that could be true. Uh, The way I was raised is that there's none of that going on over there, and Barry White even shut me down. But um, I believe on a certain uh, plane that's near to ours that this could exist in a way. I'm not uh, sure how uh, to explain it, though. You know, I don't know how to explain it either. It's probably happening in dreams. Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, it's not of the physical nature. And I I remember reading somewhere um, that someone said that we come into the human lives to experience love, happiness, and sex. And after experiencing some of the things that I have with Chip out there in the astral plane, that feeling was astronomical. It was phenomenal. Nothing like I experienced with him in the physical. I mean, that was like knock your boots off kind of out there in the astral. And I thought to myself, well, why in the world would we come into the human life to experience this when that is so much better? Yeah. Well, I think that we have to have this life to have any life. You know, I think that um, the human experience is teaching us so much that, you know, we can't be all spirit. Like, I love to have, like, let's say while we're here, I'm just talking about while we're here on Earth, is that I believe in having your feet firmly on the ground and then having your head in the clouds. That's the way I feel about all things paranormal, UFO, or whatever whatever it is. That's the way I feel about it. I like to remain grounded, and I, I keep basic, uh, I'm, I'm your basic... Uh, well, I'm, I'm more of a Christian mystic, but uh, I believe that they have direct experience of all things, and our sexuality is part of it, and it would be very oh, hard yeah. to separate it. It's not like you're suddenly uh, detached from all of it. And like you were talking about the chakras and everything, my understanding from the chakra, there's a chakra for sex, or, you know, and then it is a, a powerful... Uh, uh, feeling that actually, you know, it launched a thousand ships. I mean, what do you think uh, uh, the Troy and the, and the Trojan horse and all that was all about? It was about mm-hmm. trying to get Ellen back, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's very strong. Um, and some of the, the some of the things that I've seen with Chip are very sexual. Um, but I've changed the meaning of the, the visual. Just because I see him yes. do something that might be in a sexual sense doesn't. I look at it now that if I see him doing something that we might think that means something here, 
Now I look at it as creative because the navel chakra is all about the sex. So if I see something orange in the dream or I see him doing something of a sexual nature, to me I look at it, okay, that's the creative energy. That's how he's, that's the symbol for me to know that I need to create something and bring it back in the physical world. Because it's creative energy. That's what it is. It's a very creative sexual energy. It's a powerful thing, that's for sure. You know, and yeah. I think when you're uh, sleeping and you're in another sort of state, uh, that it can even be more powerful. I do know that, and I'm glad we even talked about it because nobody's talking about this. Hardly ever does anybody bring this up as part of the living uh, human experience, but it is. Okay, so I'll I'll be honest and I'll admit something to you that I've never told anybody. So okay. the children's book, Burke's Inner Voice, when I when I described um, Chip and the little boy handing me seeds, yes. it wasn't a seed. It was semen. And I take semen anytime I see that in a dream as the seeds because that's what it, they are in the human life. They are. They so, are. And uh, I, I, it's really strange is that this is a powerful imagery, really. Because uh, without that, there would be no none of us here. There wouldn't be anything, uh, any of us around. So it's better to be honest, really, to me. And I've had to, well, I had to ask her some questions last night because I was a, a guest on a uh, Night Visions, uh, and uh, they were asking me about uh, sex, like with aliens and all that stuff. You know what I mean? That uh, I don't. There's this is part of the human uh, condition. We're human. It's going to happen. Unless there's somebody, something totally disconnecting us from our sexuality. A lot of people don't like talking about that when it comes to the spirituality, though. They don't want to mix the two. They don't want to mix it, but I think it's, that's how people get twisted up, is that when mm-hmm. you start, you are saying that, okay, so to me, okay, sex would be sex, okay? But why is it created to be so fantastic and then certain parts of women is only made for sex. It's not made for anything else. So it goes to show that we're supposed to like it, you know, and if it's proper, uh, you know, in the proper time and place and with the right person, you're supposed to like it, you know, and not only like it, enjoy it, and it's actually life-affirming. You know, we're talking about all the good the good parts of this, and I'm not talking about the negative yeah. part because it's not good at a lower power and everything. The lower power will twist anything up, you know, so anyway, when it does happen and you're sleeping or there's like a, something happening with the other uh, subconscious or with the past, now I haven't had this experience with somebody I knew was past though, but I had it from somebody that was living, I guess it's a wish and a desire, you know, it's a very powerful thing. It is a powerful thing. But anytime I see it in the dream visit or even experience it, I mean, I guess it depends on what it is that I experience. But if I see masturbation, to me, that's creative energy. I don't look at it now in a sexual sense. I look at it as the creative energy. And I know that I'm supposed to pay attention to it. And then I'll look for things around that as well and try to decipher for myself what exactly do they want me to create. And whatever it is they want me to create... I say they, whether it's Chip, Higher Self, Guides, 
I know spirit wants me to create something, and then I'll bring it here and I'll create it. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a creative, uh, life affirming. Uh, you know. Okay. So if people are starting are thinking, okay, you know, those two chicks are talking about sex because they're obsessed and blah blah. There's no big deal. It's no big deal. <laughs> okay. So this is how I know it's a big deal. It's not just because Barry White told me so. I'm saying. <laughs> One time I was driving down near the beach, and this happened to me twice. I saw this guy that was so phenomenally awesome, and I'm I'm older now, but I'm telling you, I still saw this guy. He was so he was like a cross between uh, Brad Pitt and Sean Connery. I swear to God, that's how gorgeous this guy was. I even said it out <laughs> loud, saying, "It's great to be alive." You know what I mean? It, is. it makes you. When something happens and it strikes that tone in you of recognition oh, yeah. and, oh, my God, look at a beautiful creature, it makes yeah. you glad yeah. that you're alive. You know what I mean? Oh, you yeah. have to remember it's fun and glad to be alive. And then another time, I actually, because I actually have a side job, I do hair, right? So this guy, was he had kind of an Italian suit on, but he had this long hair. He looked like Fabio, but even cuter. So he said, oh, "Wow, you I know, and I, I had my I, my hair was down, and it was at that time it was like down to my waist. But I was there, and I remember I was getting the laundry. So I was totally, you know, you're not at your best when you're at the laundromat. You're probably on your la- last bozo shorts, and you're not together. Do <laughs> you have no clothes? You're all done. so I was just dragging them out and putting them in the back. And he said, uh, young lady, I was just like, yeah." And the reason why I was out going to him is because I actually thought he wanted a haircut or something, like his hair trim. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, you're so beautiful. I went, wow, thank you. But I was still kind of like waiting. You know, he said, can I have your phone number? I went, sure. I said, uh, do you know me from somewhere? He said, no. And I went, uh-oh. I said, and I was still with my husband at the time. I went, dang it, I'm, I'm actually married. You know, I was a fool. I'm a faithful fool, okay? But uh, I didn't get the guy's phone number. But he also made me feel like it was great to be alive, you know? And I don't think guys realize that. You know, it's really nice of you to say to a woman, you're you're beautiful and fantastic, and then just walk away. You don't even have to know the person. But it makes you Absolutely. remember it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the kind of... The kindest words can go so far, and, and you don't even know what you might have done for that person um, in that particular day, you know? Yeah. I find myself doing that a lot here in the last few years. Is Oh, your hair. I love your hair. It's so pretty. Oh, you, exactly. have, a, you have gorgeous eyes, and, or your smile is beautiful. Just the littlest things can probably go so far. That's right, because what you're doing is you're affirming the beauty in that person, and uh, mm-hmm. nothing feels better than to just give people compliments. It's free. Just tell them how beautiful they are because it really lifts everybody up, you know, and you've got to know, you know, day in, day out. We have, well, I think we do have, you have your loved one uh, chip on the other side. I'm sure it gives you these affirmations all the time, but we also, you know, need them from our earth angels too that, um, you know, you look great or, you you know, you're not feeling good, but just still say they look beautiful. And, you know, it's it's really we have to help each other. We have to be like angels to each other, really. Absolutely. 
Yes, yes. You know, and, and I'm doing a, it more and more too. Time. Yeah, it's a great time to be alive, actually. I mean, I'm so thankful for the people who are in my life. I mean, I I tell my friends and my my, fam- my family, I love you all the time. Because now I know that if I don't say it when I feel it, I may not get that opportunity to say it tomorrow because tomorrow is a never a guarantee. Right. When Chip was ripped out of my life, I learned that lesson very quickly. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Yeah, you know, uh, the the way that happened, I think that it shook you up in such a way that it actually, uh, this one uh, story I read, uh, I used to, it's called a little tiny little meditation book called Deserts in the Stream, and it was, uh, I can't remember the woman that wrote it, but she wrote it because she was uh, ministering uh, to the health needs of her husband who was slowly dying, and so she was writing all these passages, and she said this one page that was so beautiful that I read that the vessel, uh, they used to have perfume in these ceramic vessel. And the only way, this is thousands of years ago, so that's how they kept it. And uh, inside was the perfume. But the only way to get the perfume and the scent out was to break the vessel. And I always remembered that, that you know, how the, the little alabaster has to be broken open to smell the beautiful perfume. And I think that we're like that. Sometimes, you know, we we are broken, and that brings us the best out of us. That's when we share our perfume and you share your written words and your life with everybody else. And I think that's what happens when you get broken. You know, then you're more open to share with others. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I I, I won't deny I was broken. I, I... I was broken. But I'm not anymore. <laughs> You're not. I can hear it because, you know, you've been doing all that healing work, and, you know, it's quite a, quite amazing uh, what you've accomplished. Just think of, think of that. What was your life before, before that? What kind of work did you do? I was a dispatch manager in transportation. I had been in transportation since the 80s. Uh, 20 some 25 years I was in transportation that's all I knew that's I started that job when I was like 21 till in the 40s wow all I knew so I'm not in transportation anymore (laughs) no you know that's a hectic life really because you're talking about uh you know switchboards and getting everybody to a different place I don't know what you were doing but uh, I know that there's a lot of stress with anybody that's told me that that's their job, you know. And so you're stepping out of that life into this life. It's it's like night and day. Oh, it is night and day. There's definitely a no doubt about that. It's night and day. But I love what I do now. I love. Oh yeah. Um, it's it's so rewarding to know that somebody else is recognizing uh, something. I got an email. Actually, today, I think it was, I got several emails, but this one lady wrote that um, she read The Signs of the Afterlife, the very new book that has all of the different kinds of signs in it that you can recognize from your loved one. And she was receiving knocks, uh, three knocks. And and I got knocks a lot, too, but I, I added that in there specifically because 
it scares you at first when you hear somebody knocking on the door or somebody knocking on the counter or knocking on the walls and there's nobody there. And then um, after a while, you get used to it and accustomed to it. But she received knocks and didn't know where they came from. And then she noticed that there was um, feathers that were left on that she would find on her kitchen floor so many so that she had picked them up and started saving them and put them in a Ziploc bag and and um, connected it to her refrigerator to remind her. But she still doubted, just like I did, that they were signs from her daughter. But after she read the books, she realized that they were. And what a gift that her daughter was giving her. Even if she didn't recognize it, I think a part of her still did. And she was hoping that it was, but now she knows that it is. So that's very rewarding to see or receive validation for my work when I receive those yeah. type of emails too. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's it's empowering, and it it's you know you got to just keep it coming. It sounds like it's just flowing out of you. And the books again are wake me up, love in the afterlife. We need to talk living with the afterlife. And signs of uh, from the afterlife, identifying gifts from the other side, and also a book, uh, Burke's Inner Voice, B E R C, Burke's Inner Voice, and that's children's uh, fiction. And uh, you can get all her books. I saw them all on Amazon. And uh, also, you have a website. So tell us about your website. Um, the website has all the books on there too. Uh, if they order from the website, I will actually sign them free of charge and uh, ship them um, myself. Yay! And uh, so you can go to the tell them your website. Oh, the address. Yeah, you need that address. Yeah. Um, dot com. It's one n l y n r a g a n dot com. Yes. Okay, uh, I'm going to read you a couple comments. There was this one um, from Dream Master, and they said hi, by the way. Everybody in, in chat says hi to you. And uh, hello. There's quite a few people in there. Hi, hi everybody. Uh, okay, Dream Master says, we don't, this is really kind of a thoughtful comment. It says, we only have this time to share in the physical with others for a very short period of time. Appreciate this time we share within this physicality. We're, we were here before, and we are here now. And we will reunite within the etheric cord or something. I don't know the last word. I couldn't see it, but it's so beautifully said because um, we are just passing through, and that um, we knew each other before, and we're going to meet each other again. And uh, how do you respond to that, Madame? I totally agree. I totally agree. I, you know, I, I do recall when after Chip died, I would say, oh, my God, I hope I never have to come back. I hope I never have to come back. I don't ever want to experience another human life ever, 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 ever again. Well, today I totally disagree with my comment and, and say that whatever happens in the future, I know is going to happen, but when I die, I'm sure I'm going to be very happy to come back again and meet everybody um, in our soul families. Hopefully, I'll have a little Beautiful. bit different perceptive on it and be able to recognize yeah. it a lot sooner than, than now. 
Wow. And then Claudette says, my sister and I were just talking about the possibility that our dream time is just another dimension of our lives, which I totally agree with because, well, there's the regular brain processing and day processing dreams, but there's the other dreams, and I, I feel that you have them a lot. As I call them the big dreams, and that means it's a message from God or from the other side or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. that that feels very real to me, and I, I wait for those because they, they really, every time they're teaching me something big and they rejuvenate me, sometimes they set me on a whole different path. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you follow, I'm, I'm a big, big avid believer of following your dreams because they are the answers to everything that we have going on in our life. I mean, they don't have to be the dream visitations, but if they're the guidance uh, visitations or the guidance dreams, we can follow their guidance and, and I think we'll always be on the right track no matter what if we follow our dreams. Literally. Yeah, and just follow your dreams because, you know, there's a lot of uniqueness to each one of us, and we bring that to the table. When you acknowledge their dreams and remember them and share them, they they rejuvenate all of us because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, it's giving you a whole new lease on things, a whole new angle, you know. And um, I've been uh, very ill and I'm still ill, but uh, now I have, there's a cure in sight. I have a very bizarre uh, thyroid problem, and uh, it's going to get fixed, but the only cure is that you have to take it out, but there's no pill for it or anything else. I've never heard of this before, but so I've known since, like, last month, and I've had a hard time dealing with it, but the, because uh, it makes me sick in many ways, and it's also... Uh, makes me feel like I'm dying, you know, sometimes. So I'm just, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying that it makes me feel like that. So I've had some life-after-death experiences, and I'm also having a contact with my higher self. And I have to tell you, my higher self is is wearing a crown. <laughs> That's awesome. When I saw her, she kind of looked like Breakfast at Tiffany. When I did a double take, it was me in a crown. You know, it kind of looked like that. That's awesome. So, I know, so uh, I'm talking to uh, my higher self, and uh, she has a a lot to say and very vivid, um, you know, dreams. But what she's telling me is to take, you know, that she literally told me, and this is me talking to me, by the way, you know, me talking to my greatest self. And But it's very vivid to me right now. And uh, anyway... um, She's telling me that you helped everybody. You know, you helped your family. You helped everybody. You've done it all. And now it's time for you to help you. And she said, I want you to take care of yourself now. She said, you're like a garden. She showed me a beautiful garden, you know. And uh, and I I never thought of myself like that. Believe me, I'm shocked. But then along with my prayers, I I say my prayers every night. So along with my prayers, um, I'm actually talking to her too, like my higher self, and uh, she That's tells me to take care of myself, and it's not selfish, because I don't I don't know why this is written oh, to me, yeah. but caring for yourself That's is selfish funny. to me, but now I've got to get over it, you know, okay, I did my job. <laughs> That's the one thing I have learned in all of these years, as is that it's not selfish to love yourself. I mean, we are supposed to be ultimately in love with ourselves as much as we love someone else because that's who we are. We're, we're our higher self. And who loves us more than 
our higher self. Uh, yeah, and I didn't. Um, I okay. So if you don't have that, because she, she, the my higher self is where we're. I mean, I'm doing positive self talk here in the highest level. So she is saying it's not even my fault because if you don't have a concept of that, how can you even think of it? Like, it, you That's know what true. sprung it on me is that I was, like, casually making a cup of coffee. But when I make coffee, it's Starbucks and it's in my 1940s percolator. You know what I mean? So I was doing the whole eggs <laughs> and the bacon bit. So the kitchen was really smelling great, you know, because I, I love to cook. I love being in the kitchen and all that, right? Even if it's not good for my health, I'll be out there. So anyway... So well, I'm busy making bacon. This is what happened. I, I'm making bacon and I'm cooking it, but I drain the whole time. You know, when you're making bacon, there's a lot of grease. So, you know, you've got to okay. keep draining it so you'll have crispy bacon and then you actually pat it down. There's a lot of grease involved here. This is not, there's no way this could be right. <laughs> you can trick yourself all you want and saying it's lean bacon. There's no such thing. There is no, there can't be. The bacon I run into is greasy, okay? So that's when she first sprung on me. My That's when she first presented herself. And she was talking to me, and she's my uh, higher self in her crown, right? Got a picture of this. And uh, she looks like Breakfast at Tiffany. So it's me, I guess, the, the way I really would like to look like and be, but in the crown thing. Anyway, so she said, okay, there's this beautiful garden. And I went, garden? I was shocked. You know, I'm busy kind of contemplating and turning the sizzling bacon over. And then she said, yes, and you've taken that beautiful garden. Now look what's next. She took the pan of grease and poured it all over the garden, the flowers. Wow. I went, oh, my God. That's what she told me. It was shocking to me. It was shocking. I bet it was. I bet it was. I know. So now I've got to switch the turkey bacon. Something I don't want to do in this lifetime, never, but I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to for the sake of people who need me a little bit longer here. So I'll do it, if not for myself, you know, so now I've got a bucket list. And I got oh, confirmation. Cool. We're going to send I know, I want to see Eddie Vedder. I want really good seats in Pearl Jam, okay? That's one of them. Another one is going to Yosemite. I want to stay in that, that big lodge. I don't know if you've ever been there. This I have not, awesome. no. Oh, my God, it's heaven on earth. As a matter of fact, my life after death dream, I saw heaven there. Anyway, oh, wow. um, it looked like a Yosemite to me with diamonds on it, which is extraordinary. But anyway, uh, so I had this dream. So my daughter and I went out to lunch. And uh, so we're talking today. And I said, you know, I've got to tell you this this dream. And it's, it's now it's on my bucket list. i got to get to Yosemite. And uh, my dream of heaven is it looks a lot like Yosemite. And uh, she looked at me and she started crying. I said, well, what? I said, what did I do? Because I thought she said, oh, God, she's scared I'm going to die or whatever. I always told her I'm going to be with you forever, like it or not. But you know what I mean? I said, but she said I'm crying because her significant other just said, woke up and said, we need to go to Yosemite. Isn't that stunning to me? It's stunning. So we're actually making plans now. I don't know how we're going to go for the money, but we're going to go. She said, well, we're going to get the cab. And I went, wait a minute, why don't we stay at that lodge? Because if it's my bucket list, come on, stay at the lodge. The lodge is like a big (laughs) fireplace and dinner. (laughs) But anyway.
anyway, what are, what are you doing next, Lynn? Do you have any book signings coming up or anything else? No, I don't have any book signings at this time. Um, I think I am going to be writing another book. Um, I've got everything planned up inside my head. I just don't have it on the computer yet. So that will be my next project is to to write another, and it's actually going to be a fiction. And it's going to be based on a dream visit. Uh, yeah. So, uh, are you, are visiting in person anywhere or, or are you doing anything like that? Do you attend any conferences or where can people find you? They can get your book online. They can get it on your site. And where can they see you? Where can people contact you? In other words, where can Um, people contact you? Facebook is a really good one. I have, um, a Facebook page for all three of the books, um, the for the wake me up uh the facebook address is wake me up book um we need to talk book and then the signs of or signs from the afterlife um for that facebook page and and or um the website which is com. that's where you can find me all the time i'm always online it seems that's cool it's really a, a good place to be now because, you know, we're hardly ever getting any letters or anything else. So if you're not uh, online, you're out of the loop. So, <laughs> you know, true. you have to, you have to. Okay, so uh, Sheila Jenkins says, Lynn, this is Sheila Jenkins. I want to thank you so much for being an inspiration to us all and personally helping me on my journey. Much love to you. Aw, love you, Sheila. That's nice. Sheila was my drinking name when I was a, when I was drinking in the bars. My I went under the name of Sheila. So sorry. <laughs> you made me so happy about living. You know what? I'm still alive. I'm still above ground. There's hope even That's after right. you're dead. So no That's worries, right. everybody. If you're alive, fine. If you're dead, fine. <laughs> Sheila is actually writing a book. Um, by hand, which she should probably be writing or writing it on the computer. I couldn't even imagine trying to write a book by hand. But um, Sheila is a, is a very good um, friend on Facebook, and most of the people that I have met are through Facebook. I I love what social media has done, uh, and I know there are some bad things that happen on social media. I get that. But yeah. there are also some wonderful relationships that can be made on it too. Yeah, it's it's you know that's how I'm keeping you know I'm friends with even to my third cousin. You know what I mean? So I have many uh, my sister. I have only one sister on Facebook. So there's the uh, let's see how many are in the middle. There's three that aren't. So it's only two of the five are on Facebook, but. We're able to, you know, contact with the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, everybody, and all the cousins, you know. And, you know, people aren't writing letters anymore. So everybody's got to get together on Facebook. You can call and find me, Charlene Simpson the King. Yeah. Try to find me. Then you can find Lynn Reagan as L-Y-N-R-A. Spell your name. R-A-G-A-N. Yes, no you can find e. her on Facebook. No E. And uh, so we only have we only have a minute left. So give us uh, your parting words, Madame. Oh wow, we're already done. We're done. Two hours later. 
Oh, my gosh, two hours? I thought we were only doing an hour. We did a whole two hours. Wow. Go ahead. Okay. Parting words. I seem to um, stay in the area of the grief, trying to get out of that grief and still recognizing that our loved ones don't leave us. Um, But when you're in that deepest, deepest, darkest grief, it's really hard to step out of it. So the only thing that helped me when I was in it was uh, to remember the one word. This is what I was told. Always remember one word. If you can't focus on anything else, focus on one word, breathe. And then visualize the the letters if if that's what you have to do. B-R-E-A-T-H-E, breathe. Just try to remember to breathe. Those are my parting words. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on. You're a jewel of a woman, and uh, you have shared, you know, the secret parts and uh, the the books and the love and richness coming out of you. It's just like you're like a diamond, and uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Uh, We really appreciate it, and God bless you, and uh, I wish you many, many more, much prosperity and happiness to come and that uh, I know it's coming. You know, I feel real good about it. And God bless you in every way, man. Take care. Thank you. God bless you. Okay, bu- okay God bless you. Bye-bye. So I want to thank everybody for coming in tonight. It was an awesome jump and hop and chat room. And thank you, all you callers who patiently called in. I think you were getting bumped off, but we had a whole lineup of call and they called in listen to their phone and I want to thank you for everything that you do you people are really amazing and I love you with another show is coming up next Friday 6 p.m. to the extended time and uh, we're good it's going to be wonderful and follow the links to contact me you can leave a message if you would like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance you can also write me through the snail mail now nobody ever sends me mail or check or anything like that but anyway Char McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. And, of course, so you get me on Facebook. And also you can reach me at The Paranormal and the Sacred. I have a Facebook page for our show. You're going to love it over there. Go over there and like us. It's nice. So I want to thank all of our guests once again and our awesome friend, Lynn Reagan, a beautiful woman inside and out. And we wish her happy trails on all her endeavors. And the paranormal is sacred is a place to where the unheard may be heard, and we just talk about anything we want. And remember to tell us uh, to your friends, and we appreciate you very much. And I want to God bless you. And I have a song that came to mind. I don't know if uh, I can get it on here over here, but I'm going to do it. And uh, God bless you. And this is by Stevie Nicks, Landslide. To my love, took it down. I climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can a child in my heart right above Can I sail through the changing ocean tide Can I 
Thank you. 